You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming up on today's episode, two in a row, baby. We look back at the win against Nashville, get ready for another trip out west, and look around the rest of the NHL. Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. What's good and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rewicki or the podcast at Skates Plates Pod. Hope everyone enjoyed their weekend. I mean, it was hard not to after one hell of a Saturday. I mean, the Jets and Bombers dominated in Winnipeg at the exact same time. We'll talk Jets the rest of the episode here, but my God, the Bombers are just an absolute train right now. I mean, as long as I've been alive, this is, I, th- I think it's pretty clearly the best team we've seen here in Winnipeg in the last 30 years, 31 years and a half. I, I know the uh, the Milt and the Kahari and the Doug Brown, Jerron Bolden team and, and Charlie in 01 was insane, but I mean, this group is just straight up bullying teams. I mean, I didn't look like BC even wanted to play by the time the fourth quarter came around, so... I mean, in a time when offenses get every single edge possible, we might be watching the best defense in CFL history on top of it too right here in Winnipeg. So can't wait for the West Championship to come inside the Peg City and best of luck. Prayers up to whoever has to come down here and battle the Bombers. So we'll keep an eye on that in the weeks to come. But let's go back to last Saturday, that great Saturday, Jets-Preds. Winnipeg, all of a sudden, after a pretty shaky start to the season, no Shifley, no Wheeler, it's no problem so far. It's back-to-back wins, and a pretty convincing one, I would say, even though the score ended up being 6-4, to but I thought the Jets were in control of that game, really, outside of giving up that awful opening goal. From that point on, I thought Winnipeg was clearly in the driver's seat, clearly the better team. And we might be starting to see something a little special from number 80 here as well. And I'm not talking about Nick Andropov. We'll get to Pierre-Luc Dubois in just a bit. But back to the game overall as a whole. I thought the Jets did a great job of pressuring Nashville's defense core. I mean, there were not a whole lot of clean breakouts 5-on-5 from the Predators' end of the ice. A decent amount of that may have been the Preds' A not being good and B not playing very good on top of it. But I thought Winnipeg did a a great job in terms of just forcing the Predators into poor decisions time and time again. I mean, how many icings did we see 
in the first half of that game. I mean, Nashville just could not get anything going consistently offensively. And because the Jets did a great job of thwarting Nashville breakout attempts, the Jets spent a decent amount of time inside the opposing end. And, I mean, Nashville didn't really have a great answer for it. The Jets were outstanding offensively, both five-on-five and on the power play. And that was led by two players in particular. One, really no surprise here in Winnipeg, ends up being the first star of the week in the NHL, but Kyle Connor has another tremendous offensive game. But it really is all about Pierre-Luc Dubois right now. I mean, he has had about as good of an opening five games to the season as any Jets fan I think could have hoped for right now. He's been tremendous. And, and the Nashville game may have been his best game of the season on top of that. I mean, he's just doing everything that Jets fans were hoping for when the Lion A. Roslovic Dubois trade was made. I mean, he's just impactful in all three areas of the ice right now. And I, hey, you might want to try to put him on the penalty kill sometime soon, see if his magic can rub off on that unit. Because he is just a presence every single time he steps out onto the ice. I would love to see the heat map of his shots on goal this season because I think the majority of them have been within five feet of the crease, which for a guy of that size and with that skill is going to lead to a ton of easy goals. And we saw him get that great deflection on a Nate Schmidt Nate Schmidt shot in the Nate say Nate Schmidt shot three times fast, but Dubois gets a deflection off number 88 shot for his first goal of the game in the second period there. There's just a lot to like about his game right now. And really, once this team gets a little bit healthier, things are gonna be interesting when it gets down to playing time and line one, line one A and one B. It'll be a great problem to have. It's it's one that hasn't happened a whole lot in Winnipeg over these last 11 years or so. But it's just been so good after the year from hell that was this past season for Pierre-Luc Dubois. It was just, in my opinion, so critical to see him get off to a hot start, get off on the right foot. And he's done that every single time he stepped out of the ice for the Jets this season so far. And it's funny because last year, when seemingly everything that could have went wrong did go wrong, and it was this perfect storm brewing in a total negative sense, to me it's kind of been the flip side of that. And Paul Maurice touched on that as well after the win against the Predators on Saturday. It seems like everything is really starting to roll like a snowball down the hill in PLD's direction this year where you have the bad year the previous season, all right, well, then you're pissed off and you really get to work all off season long. You're in a contract year. You're more comfortable with the team that you're accustomed to playing with. You don't have to deal with the trade and everything like that. And there's the chance for the big payday that you can produce on the ice throughout the season. So it's, it is funny how the start to his Jets career could not have gone any rockier. The encore performance is looking to be one hell of a chapter, and we'll see what it might cost the Jets down the road if Pierre-Luc Dubois keeps this up. But again, just like what to do with the lines and everything when everyone gets healthy, it's a good problem to have, and I think we'll deal with it. It's a problem for future us, but right now, I think Jets fans are just enjoying the fact that Pierre-Luc Dubois looks like the impact player that Jets fans were hoping for when he was traded back last season. Now, even though we've seen Kyle Connor get off to one of the hottest starts in the NHL, Pierre-Luc Dubois off to pretty much a perfect start so far this season, those two may not have been the most important forwards on the Jets last night. 
There's another one that I think if he can keep his play up, could potentially change the complexion and the outlook for the forward group this upcoming season. Hyperbole? Well, you'll find out in just a sec. But before we get to that, do want to give a quick shout out to our friends over at DraftKings. Because the NFL season continues to get underway and a big deal on tap this week with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, new customers can bet $5 on any NFL team to win their game. And if they do, you win $200 in free bets. Five bucks gets you 200 if you pick your team to win a game. And if Sportsbook isn't available in your state just yet, DraftKings will not leave you empty-handed. You can play for big, big cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win with promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required, one per customer, restrictions apply, see DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Now I mentioned Connor Dubois, great starts to the season. And it was a little bit tricky because the Jets, once again, even though I I didn't like it, and a lot of fans don't like it either, went with 11 forwards and 7 defensemen. We may not have seen them get as many shifts as you would have liked, especially because they look so good out there together. But why are Connor and Dubois not maybe the most important Jets forwards so far from that game we saw against the Predators? Well, that's because if Evgeny Svechnikov can be a top six guy for the Jets this season. And I'm not saying, hey, 50 points, put him on tap for that. But if Svechnikov can give the Jets solid play out there on the wing and doing so with some highly skilled players beside him and he gives you 35 or 40 points, and if he looks as good as he did against the Predators, all of a sudden the Jets get back to being a bit of a deep team up front. And that was a big worry heading into the season was, are the Jets going to find a way to get enough scoring from their bottom six players to support what looks to be a pretty dynamic, high-octane top six? And that had been kind of lacking through the first few games of the season. But because of injury and out of necessity here, Svechnikov was given a bigger chance in the top six in the last couple of games. And I'll tell you what, He grabbed it and he ran with it against the Preds. I mean, it was hard not to look at the line of Connor, Dubois, and Svechnikov and not be intrigued about the potential of that unit. I mean, at the very least, it does look like Connor and Dubois have themselves some pretty solid chemistry together. And I I do like having a speedster beside Pierre-Luc Dubois, whether that is Nikolai Ehlers or Kyle Connor. Doesn't matter all that much to me. But the two have looked pretty good together, and they've been able to feed off and and read off each other well so far, so that's been a really positive thing. But Sveshnikov himself was not too shabby either against Nashville. I mean, he was doing something, I mean, kind of similar to what you might expect out of Andrew Kopp, to be honest, but doing some of the dirty work and getting in and on the forecheck, 
along the boards, try to retrieve pucks for his more skilled line mates. And it was Svechnikov, you know, maybe not the prettiest pass in the world, but was able to set up Nate Schmidt at the point, get the puck out to him, which ultimately led to Pierre-Luc Dubois' goal in the second period there. That's now back-to-back games with an assist for Evgeny Svechnikov, getting a more and more chance inside the Jets' top six. The reason why having a productive, effective Evgeny Svechnikov in the top six could be so important for the Jets this season is, all of a sudden, the rest of the lines are looking pretty good. And you could envision a scenario where the Jets become a really deep team and, and maybe don't have to play their top six 22-plus minutes a night, right? Because if Dubois, Connor, Svechnikov give you really, really good minutes as, let's call it, line 1B, then you could have a top line of Shifley, Wheeler, and Ehlers. And I kind of like that idea because Nick Ehlers has proven that he's capable, more than capable, of carrying his own line. And maybe having him beside Shifley and Wheeler can help mitigate some of their defensive concerns. And I think maybe Blake Wheeler at this point in his career and, and off to a bit of a slow start before he contracted COVID could, could probably use a guy like Nick Ehlers to carry the load a little bit more. So I, I think all of a sudden the top line looks a little more dangerous. Then you have a third line where you can drop Andrew Cobb down beside Adam Lowry. And then Paul Stasny joins those two. And I think a Lowry Cobb Stasny third line is a really effective unit and maybe one of the, I don't want to say the best third line of the NHL, but I think definitely a top 10 third line of the NHL. And that then gives you a fourth line of Riley Nash besides Christian Veselainen and Jansen Harkins. And while Riley Nash may not wow anybody anytime soon, he's a solid fourth liner. And then you're putting him beside two young wingers who are starting to kind of find their game these last few outings. Veselainen in particular has had a couple of strong games in a row, and Jansen Harkins was one of the best Jets forwards throughout preseason, and he's had a pretty damn good start to the year as well. Right Again, not the best fourth line in the NHL, but I think one that you feel pretty good about throwing them out there in just about any situation. So that's why having a guy like Svechnikov step up and play really, really big minutes, I think is kind of the critical piece to turning this Jets forward group into one of the better ones in the NHL. Because it then gives you, especially when it comes to the third line, the ability to add some scoring pop there. And we've seen how good Andrew Kopp has been to start this season. To have him on your third line, all of a sudden you're putting yourself in a pretty damn good spot offensively. And I really wouldn't mind either seeing what Shifley and Ehlers could do together. And on top of that, if you're like me these past couple of seasons, you know, maybe Evgeny Sveshnikov can do the unthinkable. And have Nikolai Ehlers play 20 minutes of ice time a game. If he's playing beside Mark Shifley, he might finally do it. So that's another positive to throw onto it there. But but all in all, I mean, a pretty optimistic performance these past few games by the Jets forward group without their number one center and without their captain. They're going to have to keep that going as they head out west here. Again, facing the Ducks. Thank God we don't have to watch them anymore for the rest of the season. But they're going to have to string together for sure one more and, and maybe two or three more solid games here. And if they can get through this stretch here, even two and one out on the road trip, that's a pretty damn good spot for the Jets to be in. And it could all be because of a guy the Jets signed basically for nothing right at the beginning of training camp. So great, great job by Evgeny Sveshnikov, a former first round pick 
taking advantage of an opportunity and maybe, just maybe, he can find a new home here in Winnipeg at a spot beside Pierre-Luc Dubois and Kyle Connor consistently. Do want to give a quick shout-out before we just take a look around the rest of the NHL now that we're, you know, a couple weeks into the season and not a whole lot has happened since our last episode. On the blue line, I thought Nate Schmidt played his best game as a Jet. And look, there was so much talk in the offseason about, look, we got to improve the Jets' decor, obviously. But so many people saying, size, size, size. The Jets need to get bigger and nastier on the blue line or else they're not going to be able to go far and they're going to be poor defensively time and time again. And while there was some truth to that, and, and Brandon Dillon is bringing that in spades so far early on, one of the things that I thought has been missing on the Jets' blue line since Bufflin and Truba and Myers all departed is the Jets needed some skill back there, right? They, they needed a guy that was nifty with the puck. And Neil Pionk is, and Josh Morrissey has been good with the puck handling it this year, better than he has in years past. But that's kind of the forgotten element of, of losing guys like Bufflin and Truba and Myers, is that they were all basically behemoths, but they were really, really talented once they had the puck on their stick inside the offensive zone. And Nate Schmidt in particular made two outstanding plays on two of the goals for the Jets in that one. We mentioned the tip by Dubois, a great job of corralling the pass from Svechnikov, but really the turning point of the whole game. At the end of the third period there, Nashville makes it 3-2. Things could have got really dicey, you know, with some momentum on Nashville's hand. If they get that tying goal, all of a sudden, obviously, it's a new different ball game. But Schmidt, with just some tremendous patience, a great spin move under pressure to buy himself some time and space at the blue line there. And then he just fires one towards the net at another great deflection by Veselainen on that one. I thought Nate Schmidt kind of outlined all the best attributes he can bring to the Jets. And he's been just a great contributor so far. Not to mention all the great stuff he does off the ice. He just seems like an absolute beauty. But size is great on the blue line. But you do need a decent amount of skill, too. And Nate Schmidt brought that in spades against the Nashville Predators. All right, a quick look around the NHL before we wrap things up for a Tuesday episode. Let's start here in the Central and just, you know, kind of take a look at where things stand after a couple weeks into the season. I mean, we could start with Nashville since we saw them last. Yeah, I think they are who we thought they were. They're just not going to be a great hockey team. And it's a... Uh, it's kind of a stunning fall from grace pretty quickly, but, I mean, that's how fast fortunes can turn in the NHL. But the Predators were just kind of the perennial powerhouse inside the Central Division, and they're just not going to get a sniff of it this year. I mean, there's just not a whole lot there, to be honest. Soros is outstanding, a great goalie, and Roman Yossi is outstanding on the blue line. But up front, man, I just, I, I don't know... I don't know where the games went for guys like Ryan Johansson and Matt Duchesne in particular. I mean, there's just no punch whatsoever offensively for the Preds. And really, their best forward, Philip Forsberg, might be up for grabs at the trade deadline. So we'll see what happens there if, if Nashville is going to make a move on their biggest asset heading into the trade deadline. They could get an absolute ransom for a guy like Philip Forsberg. The flip side of that, though, is you trade him, you have basically no skill up front. So Nashville, I, I think we can kind of chalk them off as a non-contender, maybe a team not to worry about this season. The same can absolutely be said for I think the one thing every single fan of hockey got right headed into the season, 
and that was that the Arizona Coyotes would be unbelievably god-awful. They have completely followed script so far this year. 0-5-1 already. How about this? Minus 19 in the goal diff. That is an outstanding stat just six games into the season. The Coyotes really have nothing to look forward to this year until the draft comes in. So hopefully the Jets can get the Coyotes sometime soon on the skid and, and grab a couple of two points on the bingo card. The big surprise, though, in the Central Division, I don't even want to say surprise. I would just say the big story so far in the Central Division isn't the Avalanche at 2-3, and three, isn't the Blues at 5-0, and oh, it's the Chicago Blackhawks absolutely tripping and stumbling and bumbling all over themselves right out of the gate. Oh, five and one. And it looks like an absolute tire fire in Illinois right now. I mean, they look terrible. And I don't know how much longer this can go on until somebody behind the bench and, and maybe up there in the front office too loses their job over this because it was it was kind of viewed as a, as a major, major bounce back into... I don't even want to say contention, but at least playoff conversation for Chicago this year. And they look even worse than they did last year. And the Seth Jones contract, the Seth Jones trade and the contract might end up being an all-timer. Right? Like, this might be one of the worst trades and contracts in NHL history if Seth Jones doesn't turn his game around and do it quickly for Chicago. Because, I mean, that 9-plus... $9 million plus salary doesn't kick in until next season. And then that's eight more years. Eight more years of what we've seen from Seth Jones so far this season. That's a move that can cripple an entire franchise. It is so unbelievably hard to try and maneuver and create a good team when you've got $9 million in dead cap and no team willing to take it on. I mean, the Coyotes won't take it on until five years left of the deal, at the very least. I mean, they the, things are looking dicey on that front. Not to mention, you give a bulk fist in the trade, a first-rounder this year and this upcoming year. I think it's top two protected, but still, I mean, there's the chance, a very good chance at this point, it seems like that that one might end up being a top five selection. This is like the Matt Duchesne trade all over again. And we saw what that did for Colorado. Maybe Columbus is going to end up reaping the rewards of this deal. But I can't imagine we go another loss or two in Chicago without a coaching change behind the bench. I mean, at this point, you have to do something, right? You can't just continue. You can't just assume you're going to bounce back here. And you do wonder the move from Coach Q to Jeremy Colleton, that looks like a pretty damn rash decision. I don't even think we needed um, hindsight for that one. I think a lot of people might have disagreed with that one when the move was made. And you look at what Florida's doing right now, and boy, oh boy, wouldn't Chicago love to have Joel Quenville back behind the bench. I wouldn't be shocked. If I had to make a prediction on this, would not be shocked at all to see a guy like Bruce Boudreaux behind the bench in Chicago trying to turn around a season that looks to be in the gutter so far. Ah, man, oh, man. And you wonder, too, about Marc-Andre Fleury. I mean, he's just had an absolutely horrendous start to the season on top of it. I mean, he might be good deadline fodder for the Blackhawks at this point, but a 578 goals against and an 839 save percentage. I mean, I guess you, you get what you paid for as far as trade capital. They didn't give up anything, and, and you're not getting anything in the net when he's been playing so far. But, yeah, a much different um, defensive structure in Chicago than I think Marc-Andre Fleury was used to 
back when he was with the Golden Knights. So Chicago, to me, is the story to watch right now in the Central. But some other interesting storylines as well. well. We'll go right to the top of the division here, too. St. Louis, right out of the gates, red hot. I believe they're now 6-0. and They took it to L.A. last night. And what a goal by Vladimir Tarasenko in that one. I mean, the Blues are pretty happy they... Uh, Held hard on their asking price, I think. He looks like he's ready to go. But I said it before the season. I didn't know if St. Louis would be a playoff team or not. But I thought if they could get decent goaltending, that forward core looked, in my opinion, pretty underrated. I mean, it looked real, real solid for 1 through 12 up front. And they've delivered big time to start the season. Nine of their forwards are averaging a point a game. Through five games right now. It's crazy. And then you have a couple guys in the blue line at a point of game as well. And Bennington with a 919. I don't want to say St. Louis is going to be the cream of the crop when it comes to the central. But what might have been what I saw as, you know, a two-horse race for second and third. Yeah, it looks like, looks like it's going to be a tough battle in the central this year. Hopefully the Pacific ends up being as crappy as we all anticipated it to be. Although San Jose's playing real well to start the year. But that's going to be a bit of a dogfight between Winnipeg, Dallas, Minnesota, St. Louis to grab a couple of playoff spots if we all assume the Avalanche get their act back together. They're 2-3 and three so far to start the season, so nothing too crazy. And Nathan McKinnon missed a couple of games due to COVID. They were shorthanded. I, I don't think there's a whole lot of panic there when it comes to the Avalanche. I think we all assume they're going to be just fine. Although Darcy Kemper taking a, maybe a bit more time than some of us might have thought to um, get used and get acclimated to his uh, new teammates and new system and all that. Bit of a tough start to the season for him. But two and three, yeah, nothing really to worry about with the Avalanche. Don't worry. We'll get to teams that need to be worried just five or six games into the season in just a second when we move over to the Eastern Conference. But Dallas and Minnesota, just ahead of the Winnipeg Jets right now. Dallas at three and three. Minnesota at four and one. You know, I might have to eat a bit of crow on the wild. They look kind of legit. You know, I, I said before the year, I don't, I, I just, I must be missing something when it comes to Minnesota and seeing how high everybody was on them. But I've been watching them so far to start the year and they look pretty impressive. I, I got to admit, I'll probably, I'll probably eat it on that one. I think the wild are going to be in the playoffs. Not sure which spot they're going to be in, but I think we see Minnesota grab a playoff spot and, and maybe do so pretty easily. The Stars right now, surprise, surprise, can't score for anything. It's a miracle that they're 3-3 three and three with a minus-3 goal differential. But with some injuries and some guys on the wrong side of 30, you do wonder a little bit about how potent that Stars offense is going to be this season. Because Ben and Sagan have been non-existent so far. Tough start to the year for Rupe Hintz. Jason Robertson hasn't even gotten into the lineup this season battling an injury just yet, so Dallas very well be the most vulnerable out of all the teams vying for a playoff spot. I think legitimately vying for a playoff spot in the Central Division. I'm not going to do a revamped prediction order for the Central just yet, but I think if I had to make a choice here, I would probably flip Minnesota into the playoff race and Dallas maybe on the bubble and, and just outside of that. Uh, but that's where things stand right now in the Central Division. And we'll see. Hopefully, we get some Central Division games sometime soon. We don't have to deal with this West Coast crap anymore. Uh, a quick look at the Pacific, by the way. Edmonton, 
I, I might have been right on that one. I feel good about that pick so far, about the Oilers pushing Vegas for tops in the division. I mean, they're already eight points up on the Golden Knights, who are 1-4 and four to start the year. Some real brutal injury luck for Vegas, though, so they're going to have to try and survive over these next few games. They actually face Colorado on Tuesday night, so big, big test for Vegas to right the ship quickly. Um, but Edmonton, the cream of the crop so far in the Pacific at 5-0, and the best power play maybe we've ever seen. San Jose, a surprising good start for them, 4-1. and who would have thunk that if you get good goaltending, your team might end up being not so bad? Um, but they're followed just or they're just ahead of the Calgary Flames, who I picked to make the playoffs and for Daryl Sutter to win Jack Adams. A good start for the Flames at 3-1-1. One, one. Out east, I mean the Metro is pretty crazy. When you've got a 625 win percentage and you're dead last in the division, yeah, that's probably going to be a bit of a bloodbath all season long. Uh, but Carolina off to a great start at 6-0 for them. And they get that final win in style because this has all been this look around the NHL. It's really been a precursor to where we can end this episode on a high note. And that's to talk about how unbelievably, hilariously awful the Toronto Maple Leafs are right now. There are hot takes all over the place when it comes to the Maple Leafs just seven games into the season, which is, I think, where a lot of Winnipeggers would love to see that happen year after year. But it is funny to me, the narrative right now surrounding the Leafs, and they've really put themselves in an absolute can't-win scenario. Because going into the season, all the talk was the regular season doesn't matter. It's all about what this team does in the playoffs. So you win a game, oh, it doesn't matter. We'll just wait till April and what you do in the playoffs. But then you lose a game early in the season, and, and what's the talk? Oh, this team can't get it done. It's a bunch of chokers. They suck. They stink. Why do we believe in them, right? Like, no matter what happens with the Leafs, they end up on the losing side of things. But to be fair, they've done this all to themselves, right? All they had to do was finish business against Montreal up 3-1 last year, and, and these conversations would be lessened to a major, major degree. But I'll tell you what, watching the Leafs play seven games into the year... And they've been bit by some bad shooting luck and all that. But do you think they're finally broken? Like, do you think do you think the fishbowl of Toronto has finally broken some of the star players there? Maybe the coach as well? Maybe the GM? Like, I, I don't know. It, it seems like a team that's out of answers as to why they're playing so bad. And, and I mean, I do feel bad for Mitch Marner. Again, he brought a lot of this on himself. And I get guys going for as much money as he can, but that contract looks like it's just a black cloud hanging over him every single day. I wonder if... Is he ever going to find his game in Toronto now? Like, I'm fascinated as to how this all plays out. Whether or not the Maple Leafs can can break out of this funk and, and maybe get some of that mojo back that they had all of last regular season. But this is a team completely searching for answers right now. And look, it's a market that doesn't really ask for patience a whole lot. And if these struggles continue, there's probably going to be a neighbor or two that either gets shipped out or gets the axe and gets fired sometime sooner than later. I mean, it's a hell of a scheduling job by the NHL, although I don't think they would have anticipated it being like this. But on Wednesday night, the Toronto Maple Leafs are heading into Chicago to take on the Blackhawks. That might be a game where the loser sees somebody out the door 24 hours later. 
So from a morbid sense of view, that to me might be the game of the week to watch. Leafs, Chicago, who loses their job after a loss in that one? But man, oh man, it's a tough, tough start for Toronto right now. And we'll see if they can... Hey, look, I'll tell you what. This is a team that has been labeled as, I think, mentally soft and a group that folds under pressure. Well, here's some pressure right now. Battle through it. See if you can do it. We'll find out if these Leafs are, are, are worth the amount of money that they're making over this next stretch of games here. But it is nice, you know, after back-to-back wins here in Winnipeg, Jets fans don't have to worry about that talk anymore. They can now just make fun of and enjoy the malaise and the anger and the rage and the sadness that's coming out of Toronto once again. So I said we'd end this episode on a high note. And it's tough to end it on more of a high note than talking about how much the Maple Leafs suck just seven games into the season. But that's going to do it for our episode here today. Thank you guys again so much for listening. We're back at it on Friday. And we'll have a pair of Jets games to break down for you out on the West Coast. One against the Anaheim Ducks once again. On Thursday night, they take on the LA Kings. And then a Saturday game against San Jose. We'll preview that one as well on Friday's episode. But again, thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. Peace.